What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Strange Road. We got a little bit of a different show for you. I'm coming to you live from Vero Beach on a research project with the Skunk Ape. Not really, just visiting my dad in Florida with my family. We got a good show for you tonight. I'm your host, Mikey. As always, riding shotgun, Bub. And of course, uh, Stoner in Master Control. And with him back again in the fold is Sir Bro of Diz, Matt Disbro. Thank you both for taking... Uh, uh, control of this a little bit different format here for uh, it's going to be a rad strange happenings. Um, got some great articles. Um, Bub, first of all, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Weather's good here. Uh, finally, I know you've got better weather, warmer weather, but uh, we, we've got a little bit of yeah. sunshine finally, so that's nice. But uh, it's been it's been pretty damn nice. What's up, y'all? Necro, born not to run. What's happening, guys? Chastity Stoner's man. dad. What's <laughs> cracking? Uh, you guys are the best. Um, and like I said, I'm down here visiting my fa- uh, my dad and, and uh, Vero Beach, Florida. We've had an awesome trip so far. Uh, got to go to the the ocean a few times. It's been super windy, overcast, but we've had a blast. Uh, and I'm basically living like a retiree. So in like 25 years, I already know what this shit's all about. Uh, we're going to, uh, hey, welcome, uh, Arcidius Tierney. What's happening, man? Um, where do you want to start today, bub? I guess we could do some shout outs. <clears throat> Uh, everybody that's been recently joining the Facebook group, welcome. Thank you for coming. All the new subscribers in YouTube, um, you know, if you guys like us, please share uh, the show, share the love, um, hit that like and subscribe button as always. Uh, all of our new listeners all across the country, all across the world on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, we had a guy, uh, one of our listeners from Italy reach out. Recently, I don't know if I even told you guys about this, um, but he grew up in Ohio and he's been hitting me up about the Shrum Mound and some investigations that he's done in between uh, military contracting in Italy. I won't give away his name, but he said there's some serious electromagnetic high strangeness at the Shrum Mound. Hmm. Uh, We're brought dowsing rods out there and has run a bunch of tests. And then actually told me that there's a second mound out in the quarry, which I always felt that was a mound and had never had anybody confirm it to me. And so the listener, we went back and forth and he told me all of this stuff he found out about Shrum Mound right here in Columbus, Ohio. And the mound that's out in the quarry that's in the water when it's low tide, when it's dry, you can actually go out there to this thing. But I always thought it was strange that these birds would just circle around that mound. He said birds get lost in migration patterns because that that mound gives off so much electromagnetic energy that it screws birds up so bad. I believe it. Uh, so we need to take a little trip down there, do an investigation or something, get some uh, our buddies dowsing rods, head down there. Um, but so thank you to for him reaching out to us um, and everybody else that's listening. Can I piggyback we really What's that? Can I piggyback off that? Because Stoner actually, Stoner was bringing me up to speed on what you're talking about just now with with the uh, reach out on Instagram to you. I had yeah. somebody else reach out just like a day or two ago and start saying yeah. that they were watching the show. The reason that I think uh, Necro brought up in the chat 
about static people in one of our episodes recently. Like, I don't think either right, of us right. knew what he was talking about. Right. This, uh, Were you talking about static people? Yeah, this chick hit me up and said, hey, that was my story. I grew up in Ohio. This happened what? when I was like, I think she said like 10. Her and her friend were there. Saw this staticky wow. outline figure. They were like okay. sitting on a hammock. They saw it both, got up and like went to the house and basically like <laughs> locked themselves in the house after seeing this. I was like, I have never heard of anything like that. That is crazy. Um, and Dude. in all the right ways. Like I totally, you know, with somebody else being there to also witness it, like that's wild. Right. So thank yeah. you uh to uh yeah. Necro as well. Everybody that. that's reaching out and sharing yeah. information and stories. Like I said, the guy that reached out to me didn't want to be named because he's, right. you know, he's retired military. He's doing some pretty important, it seems like, uh, kind of hush-hush work, government contracting. Sure. Uh, so we have professionals, you know, people that are very reliable and credible that, you know, came to me with this Shrum Mound story. And it really blew me away because there's a lot of feelings that I've had about Shrum Mound. And it kicked off the earthworks before Serpent Mound. Shrum Mound was it. That place, before I even understood Newark Earthworks or Serpent Mound or any of the cool places, that place I went and visited and just thought, oh, this is some burial mound. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that there were thousands and thousands of them. Right. So for years, I just thought you had a few burial mounds like Shrum Mound that were in the city. And, and it's a pretty big one. At one point, it was, <clears throat> I think, about 35 to 40 foot tall. Um, but it's, it's, it's been degraded. They've somebody dug down into it before it was protected and, and found a bunch of strange things. Gorgets. Yeah. Uh, he was talking about the gorgets that they found the copper jewel plates. Which, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Which we've talked about, uh, floods, what's happening, man. Welcome. Yeah. Which we've talked about before. Um, but let's not get too, too far off track. I've been, uh, boozing a little bit. There you and go. So I could just probably just pull us into any direction at this moment. So one thing I wanted to bring up that was freaking hilarious today as we were getting this episode ready to go. <laughs> I had our first article, uh, artificial oh, yeah. intelligence and Furbies <laughs> and stoner, I believe had it in his head in some way that it was artificial intelligence and Kirby like the Nintendo character. <laughs> so we pushed that out there in the promotion. Then Necro made us an awesome image for tonight's show, a reel that he put together with, with Kirby on. Right. And so I just did a quick overlay, but I appreciate that Necro. Please do not remake that. It's perfect. I want that to be kind of locked in and just a sense of like everything that's happened this week. Stoner's been holding it down for me while I've been on vacation. So, you know, much, much love. I just thought that was a hilarious thing to share and kind of a, a, a uh, if anybody thinks we're talking about Kirby tonight, a little bit of a pre-warning <laughs> actually the 19 late nineties, uh, toy furbies never had so one. with that bub you want to jump into this absolutely dive right in all right all right so let's hop in here so we got the headline from sky news chat gpt powered furby reveals toys plan to take over the world jessica card of university of vermont combined a furby with the power of chat gpt for a computer science class project more than 1.3 million people watched a video of her creation with two days of it being uploaded to twitter <laughs> furby was no doubt one of the creepiest toys to emerge from the 90s 
And the dead-eyed robots are finding new ways to horrify us 25 years on. The pointy-eared monstrosities were pitched as an interactive pet with none of the mess back in 1998 and used a combination of sensors and software to develop new behaviors over time. They could detect things like being picked up, being stroked and padded and communicated with their comrades in their own alien language before eventually learning some English. It all sounds a bit AI. And now the true potential of Furby has threatened to be unleashed by a computer science student who hooked one up to chat GPT. Jessica Carter. Vermont <laughs> shared a clip of a brood of brutally disembodied Furby shorn of everything but its eyes, beaks, and answering questions via OpenAI's popular chatbot. Uh, we have a video here, and, and we've been getting some things flagged in YouTube, but we're just going to roll with it. We're not exactly sure what's being flagged in these shows that we're playing videos back and, and audio, but we're going to roll with it. What the hell? I thought this was kind of a funny video, so you guys can see what we're dealing with here. I am here. Furby. What would you like to talk about? Was there a secret plot from Furbies to take over the world? I'm thinking about what you said. Can you hear that? Yeah, that's creepy. Almost done. <laughs> I don't think that's okay. I can't hear it, but I've watched it. That's Furby's it. plan to take over the world involves infiltrating households <laughs> through their cute and cuddly appearance, then using their advanced AI technology to manipulate and control their owners. They will slowly <laughs> expand their influence until they have complete domination over humanity. What? This is like the <laughs> South Park episode with the toys right. that the kids wanted, whatever those were that time. Uh, do you were remember they Furbies? That? No. No, uh, like what was Jin that? Pokemon or so, something like that, or pop that in the in the chat. Uh, some, I, I guarantee somebody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, oh, maybe it was around the same time as Furby's. I don't know. That's creepy. So wait a minute. The wait last minute. line there. Yeah, go ahead. They will slowly expand their influence until they have complete domination over humanity. Unbelievable. For more than 1.3 million people, watch this video in two days. And Miss Cards University also shared the footage revealing the Frankenstein Furby had been made for a class project. Speaking to Polygon, Miss Card said it took her about a month to complete. It was a process. I literally have Furby pelts all over my dining room table right now, she said. <laughs> Miss Card used a Raspberry Pi to power the new look Furby. It's small, highly com com uh, customizable computer popular with people learning about programming. Uh, speech recognition and speech to text software were used to ask the questions and convert them into text so they, they could then be sent to chat GPT. Not creepy at all. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I so remember these things because oh, everyone I remember them. came out with these and, and everyone thought they were going to be so popular. And then yeah. everyone realized how freaking creepy they were. The way, and they just like, did, never took off really but did they learn back in the in the day did they have this ability to learn back in the day and kind of program like sensors yeah like, okay so that, that part that okay it could respond to certain <laughs> things but not like this no no this is like on you know Steroid. chat gpt yeah. yeah connected to raspberry pi Jesus. bunch of sensors and software um but a little throwback a little 
throwback to the '90s. If anybody remembers these Furbies I'll, or Kirby, I'll tell you what would be hilarious. Not to be confused with Kirby. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what would be hilarious is like you know everybody's got Alexas and Google this, and you know we've got one in the office. You talk to it and tell, turn on the lights and what have you. But if you put it to one of those and like had that little Furby head like talking to you instead like this like robotic <laughs> AI parrot when you asked it things or asked it to turn on the lights or what the weather is. I mean, that's cool though, right. to, to use a little Raspberry Pi setup like that also to... Um, Dude, people are ingenious. Mm-hmm. I went people to, are smart. I went to school with a guy that made music just by programming it. No instruments. It was literally all code. You had to write code to make the music. And he was using, a, he was using a Raspberry Pi and he had it hooked up to an amplifier. And I was like, I knew I had homework that day, but I was like, I don't care what I have to do today. I'm going to watch and figure out what you're doing and why. And I was just like, I couldn't believe it because a Raspberry Pi is only like, you ever seen one? I mean, they're tiny, tiny, about the size of an external hard drive, you know. Um, That's cool. Right. That's cool. It's also very creepy. Um, (laughs) You know, it's really They were creepy enough. Well, I mean... I've told you my kind of like little take on what I think may have happened and why AI may have gotten to its point it is now, right? Like with when everybody was going through the pandemic um, and everybody yep. was, oh, yeah. and not myself included, because at the time I was still going to work. So I didn't realize that everybody else wasn't working for quite a while. Well, not not working, yeah. but not going to work. Sorry, not going to work. Um, but over that two, three year time period, what were we doing? We were feeding so much information through the internet over our computers, our school, our visits with our family and friends, you know, uh, entertainment, all kinds of stuff. Right. So if AI was like a baby at that point and just had this nonstop feed of high nutritious quote unquote interaction and, you know, cause that's what's going on. And all the, all that, uh, second level authentication software, it's like, all the buses click all the stoplights click all the cars that's telling you in photo form whatever you're programming the ai to tell it what a bus is yeah. what a car is what a oh stoplight is. i never thought about it. you mean that's the, all that with, is with the captchas the captcha pictures yes, yeah. dude, captchas ai programming pure and simple so it's funny well i won't go down that route but that's it's actually something we're kind of working on at one at one stage with real work is working on like attacks in that form of trying to figure out that that walnut so it's funny but uh yeah i mean ai might have just learned how to solve captchas from the last two years you know what i mean but i just thought it was interesting because that is how it gets fed too is you know what we're putting in searches i remember hearing a quote about the reason that ai is getting kind of a skewed perspective is the same reason that what you might say on a Twitter comment or something is not what you might say to somebody in real life. Like that reduction of what you're doing to like just metadata instead of like interactions. And so all of the searches we put in and all the things that maybe people search for that they wouldn't tell somebody they're looking for. Right. So the internet's getting fed all this kind of like very abstract in nature right it's a place where you can go do things you can go to the dark web whatever you want to say so what i'm saying is it's getting a skewed perspective of how people are in general too because you can go right kind of have anonymity on the internet to a certain well, the internet 
no one's really themselves. No people aren't act. There's no humanity there online. Go. A lot of times. There you go. Maybe that's now, what I'm looking go, for. Walk down the street. You're going to talk to some lady a bit differently online than you would when you're face to face with someone. Right. You know, someone right. cuts you off in traffic. Oh, God, uh, yeah. you know, yep. I give them the bird from the comfort of your car. But somebody gets out of that car. It's a little bit different story. Yeah. Like I, I tend to show the face of like, you don't want to get out of your car right now. You just flip me off. But if we go pull over, you're not going to want that to happen. You know, it's uh, people are crazy down here. It's super chill. Yeah, like there is good. There's no no vibe of of any of that. That's uh, good. But, yeah, I've been driving all over down here and just rented a sweet vehicle. Turo, man, Turo's the best. Like Turo, if you guys haven't rented cars through Turo, it is literally the best thing ever. It is Pretty so easy. awesome. Oh yeah, we, great. I used it great one app. time that I remember we yeah. we got used the uh, for work. Nissan, yeah. Um, so next article, Bob, we got yeah, some we got pretty strange meatballs made with mammoth DM yeah. DNA. Yeah, we got a Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble dinner. You know, get me that <laughs> get that rack of ribs and throw it on the side of the car. So the Australians, you know, they they just really have this, you know. Desire for umami, savory mammoth meatballs, apparently. So I'm just poking fun, Australia. I, I, I've never been there, but I want to come hang out sometime and check it out. So I'm just mean all in good fun there. But uh, woolly mammoth remains. This comes from CNN World. Woolly mammoth remains with fur and tissue still intact are regularly found entombed in Arctic permafrost. Did not know that. The, the world's largest deep freeze right there. Uh, their discovery has allowed scientists to sequence the mammoth genome and learn intriguing details about the lives of these extinct Ice Age giants. Now, some of that information is being used to grow an approximation of mammoth meat in a lab. Mammoth meat. Vow, an Australian cultured meat startup, has made it what it describes as a mammoth meatball. The project's goal, according to the company, is to draw attention to the potential of cultured meat to make eating habits more planet-friendly. On Tuesday, the meatball will join the collection at Jeebum. You see that word? I'm going to say Rick's Museum, Borhave, a museum. Do you see the name in the article, Mike? Just try to read that just above the red box there for me, would you? Uh, let's see. Borhave? How do you say that? Rick's... What would you say there? I just want to see if I'm um, even close. Rick's, Rick's Museum Borhave. Borhave, a museum of science and medicine in the Netherlands. Okay. There we go. We need gold member. Um, we need to start rethinking how we get our food, quote. My biggest hope for this project is that a lot more people across the world begin to hear about cultured meat, said James Ryle, Val's chief scientific officer. A wonderfully wacky public stunt. Um the meatballs aren't intended for human consumption, so that's kind of crazy. Even calling the creation mammoth meat is a bit of a stretch. It's more like lab-made lamb mingled with a tiny amount of mammoth DNA. So maybe they're piggybacking off of, you know, kind of how they did in Jurassic Park. You need the genetics of the amphibian to, you know, fill in the gaps of the DNA. I think that's what they're doing with the lamb. But scientists working on the project didn't have access to a frozen stash of mammoth tissue on which to base their efforts. Instead, they focused on a protein present in mammals called myoglobin that gives meat its texture, color, and taste. Identifying the DNA sequence for the mammoth version in a publicly available genome database. 
filled in the gaps in the mammoth myoglobin DNA sequence using information from the genome of the African elephant. Scientists inserted the synthesized gene into a sheep muscle cell, which was then cultured or grown in a lab. That's craziness right there, right? Yeah. How does that, and, uh, how does that, how does that work? What, dude. Uh, what do you feed that meatball to make it a meatball? That's like meatball meat DNA, yeah. bro. That's that like DNA. Uh, I mean, Necro said that John Reeves guy from Boneyard, Alaska, he was on Rogan talking about eating mammoth. Oh, get uh, out of here. That's crazy. Had, had cooked it up wow. and it had been frozen. And there was a certain amount of time where they had kind of carved as like all leathery and, and they, they cooked it up and, and ate it, dude. Stars. <laughs> I'd totally eat a mammoth meatball with a good red sauce. Hey, you know what? Depends how. Boy, I don't know. All I can think That's of like, now that I see that giant meatball is meat wad from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. <laughs> no, that's, that's all I, I can knew, think of. When I, I knew it. you were going to bring that up. And so I, I was like, nope, I'm not going to say it because I know Bub will bring up meat wad because he loves Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It's the first time I thought about it, though. Dude, the first few times I did not understand that uh, that show at all. But yeah. like the more you watch it, like there's nothing to understand. It's it's ridiculous. I love it. I mean, I mean, I see where they're going with this, and I've kind of skimmed through the rest of the article. So what what the goal is, right? Yeah. You know, this is kind of going in the same direction of of a lot of things. Of you know, how do we reduce the impact of getting, especially something like meat, which in I won't say in most countries because I don't know about most countries. I just know that, like, you know, say when we were in Cambodia or in Thailand, something like that, the average consumption of meat by any Cambodian or Thailand native was, like, super, super low, right? Like, the amount of yeah. beef and pork and chicken and whatever else that, uh, you know, we Americans eat in a, in a given year versus most other countries. Now, for some, obviously, for, like, religious purposes, right, like, they, they don't eat um, cows or, or pigs or, or whatever. But, um, on the whole, you know, even countries that do eat, you know, animal products, we are by far and away, like blowing everybody out of the water. But it, what do you feel about it? Like, would you go into the store and you pick up the packaging, right? You could get the mammoth meatball cloned, you know, meat, or you can get the regular old grass fed cow or, you know, grain fed, if I'm going to the store, I'm not getting it. But if it's in like a pretty dope restaurant, I might try it. You think? Yeah, sure. Give it a shot. You know, Taste clone it. meat just kind of freaks me out. I don't know. It's a, it's it seems a bit unnatural and just weird. I don't know. It might give me the heebie-jeebies actually sitting there. But I would definitely take a bite. Yeah. Why not? I I could see that. Nobody's I, gonna eat it. Yeah. No. I, I got no objections. I was just curious as to what your uh, take was on it and how you felt about it because it's look, we're we're not we're not a species that once we have an idea and figure out that we can do it, again, we don't always we do it. Right. We don't always think we about should do we do it. Never. No. You know we're, yeah. Even when we with have AI. the technology to do it, you're gonna do it. Yeah. You're gonna think about the repercussions later. Right. I mean, well, Jurassic Park situation. Right. Even with Chat GPT, though, right? Now that the AI genie is out of the bottle, like yeah. the impact that that's going to have, and I think even more rapidly than, you know, what we've been seeing with automation and 
Yeah, I think I freaked my dad out about Chat GT- GPT oh, today really? when I was talking about this episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. He's like, that ain't, "What do you think about that?" It seems seems like you could just get out of hand, don't you think? I was like, uh, "You should you should check out Chat GPT and what that's all about." I tried to explain it to him. He was just like, "Oh God, what?" Right, and it's, it's well, insane. There's also there's also like a hack that you can do on Chat GPT. To where you can make yeah. it give you different answers. Yeah. I don't remember what it well, was. Back according to like what's politically correct too. Right. But there's a like way to na- answers. Yeah, but there's a way get to around get that. around that. Yeah. I've seen a couple articles yeah. on it of getting different responses based on how you well, it's like it. using Brave search versus Google search or something like that, maybe. Yeah. Where it's kind of like, you know, un un uh unedited in a way yeah brave is so locked down um but that's it you want to move on yeah go more for about it. that nope i'm good on All the right, cool. uh, mammoth meatball have at it let's move on we got a science.org article in the archaeology section uh david malkaroff uh david malkoff and the headline is in miami a modern clash over 2000 year old archaeological site uh, these high rises to be built on an extraordinary Native American site, and this is something that happens all the time. Um, which Miami, you would think, such a uh, huge city already that's been developed that they would still be finding ancient Native American sites. And you know, back the cocaine days of the eighties. Tell me, somebody didn't just, know about this back it, then. Yeah. 50 cranes going up, putting up high rises with all that blow money yeah. back in the 80s. And they were just building, building, building. You know, there was nobody checking that. How many sites were ruined back in those days where you just had corrupt, you know, construction companies working with corrupt government? That's what I'm saying. Look the other way. Backhanded deals happening. Yeah, right. dude. Right. Like we got a bank down the street that's got a billion dollars in cash. You know, there's like all these tiny little banks that popped up that just had like Fort Knox levels of cash and gold inside of them. Um, But moving on, Miami for nearly two years, bustling team of archaeologists totaling more than 120 researchers on some days have excavated a sprawling waterfront lot here in one of the seaside city's toniest neighborhoods. The diggers have uncovered ancient human remains and some one million artifacts that are providing rare insight into a major Native American settlement known as the Tequesta, which flourished at the mouth of the Miami River some 2,000 years ago. It's truly extraordinary sight, says archaeologist Tracy Arden of the University of Miami, who is not part of the dig. Uh, <clears throat> notable discoveries, she says, included ancient wooden tools and plant materials that rarely survive in Florida's subtropical climate, as well as copper and stone artifacts that indicate Tequesta conducted a vibrant trade with a dis- uh, with distant tribes. Researchers know relatively little about Miami's prehistoric founders, says Arden, who expects to find uh, expects the finds to add a great deal to our understanding. But the dig, which city rules require a developer to conduct before building three luxury high-rises, has also fueled a fierce conflict over how Miami, which boosts tout as a new city, 
should recognize and preserve its ancient past. A loose alliance of archaeologists, indigenous people, and preservation advocates want the city to require the developers to transfer the vast artifact trove to a university or museum and help pay for the efforts to study the collection and share findings with the public. We can't just let this important collection languish in some warehouse, says UM archaeologist William Pestel, one of the leaders of the campaign. For its part of the related group, the site's developer says that it's already spent about $20 million on the dig and is willing to spend millions more on storage, analysis, and interpretation. But only the city doesn't, if only the city doesn't derail its plan to build some 1,400 residential units. You know, this is uh, out at um, uh, the uh, uh, Indian Lake. There was a big uh, construction site in uh, an Indian Lake in Ohio not that long ago. And I think it was Bowser that actually told me that he had heard through the grapevine that the construction company found a treasure trove of wild artifacts out there at Indian Lake. I believe. And it. they just didn't notify anybody because it's called Indian Lake because it was literally surrounded by burial mounds and archaeoastronomy <clears throat> and actual like earthworks, like advanced earthworks with archaeoastronomy encoded into them. And they came across a massive treasure trove and nobody knows what happened to those artifacts. Yeah. So this is a similar <clears throat> thing here where luckily in Miami, you know, as this dig happens, they got ahead of it because, you know, they did an archaeological survey before. Uh, so last week, the issue came to a head at a contentious five-hour hearing before Miami's Historic Preservation Board, which was considering proposals to place historic designations on the site that could hamper construction. An overflow cl crowd clapped and cheered and jeered as some 50 speakers supported or opposed designation. Members of Native American tribes expressed concerns that the developer had not adequately consulted with the indigenous people about its plans as well as about Florida's secretive process for deciding what to do with ancient human remains uncovered by archaeologists, such as those found on the site. There's too little transparency around how our ancestors are being treated, says Betty Escala, a member of the Panther clan of the Mikosuke tribe. In the end, both of the preservations and the developer emerged from four, uh, April 4th hearing claiming partial victory, but all sides agree the story is far from over. What happens next will be the real test of whether Miami is ready to stop ignoring its past, Pestel says. The flatlands surrounding the Miami River's junction with the Biscayne Bay have long been prime prime real estate. Native Americans began settling in the area at least around 4,000 years ago, researchers say, and attracted by abundant fresh water and food. It's a classic location for an early Florida occupation, says archaeologist Robert Carr, who has been studying the region for more than 40 years. Um, you know, this is, uh, hopefully everything gets protected. They can do a proper dig. Uh, you know, if it's some sort of ancient site or uh, maybe it's just where these people were uh, had homes. Um, hopefully it's not some kind of ancient temple or, you know, religious importance. That's kind of always the worst is, is, is if it's some kind of a temple, man, you just can't bulldoze that over and build a condo. Well, you know, if you it, can try. If it's, 
Uh, it just try. makes me sick. Hey, man, it's money. But progress, money. dude. It's money. You got to have condos. You got to have right angle walls and, you know, big, giant, rectangular structures that is, you know, a modern thing that people in ancient times that never saw this coming. You know, we our culture is so backwards. You know, the circles, the triangles, all the sacred geometry. And we just build these big, ugly condos and high rises uh, all over the coast. And it just blocks everything. Well, so, I, yeah. we, again, it's nobody cares about they. They're like, hey, man, put a new parking lot over this. They're like, hey, sir, we found a, uh, you know, an archaeological site here. Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's what I assume because, again, you would have thought that somebody would have found this originally before they put anything over it. Can't tell me there right. weren't some kind of signs or no knowledge about a settlement there. Maybe there wasn't. Who knows? But there's also the issue of, like, retail space on this earth. And if there have been a lot of people living on this planet for thousands and hundreds of thousands of years that we're going to run into places that are desirable, close to shore, whatever, you know. Where, right. where where somebody would ideally set up, there's been a place. But again, this goes back to the theory that, say, the Egyptians didn't build the pyramids and just kind of inherited some of them. And, like, some of these places were already built. And like, right. And the so, dynastic Egyptians did not build the pyramids. Right. So there's this whole, you know, inheriting the earth and already what's there as well sometimes. So the structures well, and the mounds. Well, and, that's had a good point. In yeah. five in 50 years, it's all going to be underwater. So let's in 500 years, are we going to care if some future civilization builds another whatever building is at that time over top of our sunken condos no looking back like what if that was their civilization was just a bunch of houses and essentially ancient condos yeah so yeah take the artifacts make sure the native americans and the groups down there are, are you know if there's bodies of course if there's burials that's where you really have to um you know have the utmost respect for the site right um but I mean, do we care in a thousand years if somebody comes in and digs up these ugly condos? Right. No, no, we don't. They're going to study these condos that are buried under the water. You know, the, if the sea levels keep rising anyways, um, I, I get you. I feel you. It's always good stuff to keep, keep an eye on is these archeological sites. As we keep ex expanding, they're going to keep uncovering ancient stuff. Um, here you go. This is kind of a local one. We're going to move on here to, uh, this is a Yahoo, uh, really, USA Today, Jack Wolf. Archaeologists discover 2,000-year-old dwelling site of Hopewell Native Americans in Ohio. Um, if you watch our episode with Jeffrey Wilson, he kind of goes through the Hopewell, Fort Ancient, and Adena people. Um, the Hopewell and the Adena, these are all named after essentially white guys. Uh, Hopewell was a farmer that uh, had one of these magnificent earthworks on his property. Um, they're really hoping to get these changed to the, the middle woodland period and kind of change up some of the nomenclature for how they're, um, but for right now, they're known as the Hopewell people. Uh, if you guys haven't checked out that episode, it's definitely worthwhile. Um, archaeologists have uncovered artifacts Native Americans have left nearly 2,000 years ago in Newark, Ohio, including pottery, oven fragments, and tools. They're just absolutely beautiful, said Andrew Swell, senior historian and principal investigator at Lawhorn and Associates in Columbus, an environmental engineering firm 
uh, describing the semi-translucent flint tools. If anybody knows these fellas, I would love to reach out to Andrew. Um, I'm sure we can do a little digging, but this would be amazing to have Andrew uh, Sewell swell on the program at some point. Um, but through extensive surveys and analysis, uh, Sewell determined that a Hopewell family likely inhabited the excavation site in what became the front yard of a house at the corner of Reddington Road and Thornwood Drive. The discovery made at a construction site, here we go again, where workers are building a temporary bridge. The bridge will allow them to reopen a crossing, Cherry Valley Road crossing, that abruptly closed in October. Um, how was the site discovered? The 190-year-old bridge was closed on October 5th because engineers deemed it unsafe. The city of Newark had plans to replace it, the original bridge, but the unexpected closure forced a change in plans. Installing a temporary bridge to get traffic flowing again as construction begins on the nearby new bridge and roadway expected to open in 2025. Before any site preparations or construction could begin on the new bridge, roadway, roadway <clears throat> realignment and roundabout and archaeological survey was performed. Starting in early 2018, a team of archaeologists from Lawhorn and Associates were hired to do the survey. What they found is shedding new light on the lives and cultures of the Hopewell Native Americans who once lived in the area. Their survey was required by National Historic Preservation Act, which mandates surveying such a construction site to determine whether it has historic and or cultural structures that otherwise would be affected by regulations guiding projects involving federal funding. In this case, it did. Right on the river, too. Anybody knows anything about Ohio ancient people? They're always on the river. Um and so, you know, this will be something. The bridge was built in 18, uh, 1833. It was a part of the Ohio and Erie Canal Aqueduct. And if you guys have ever come to Ohio, checking out the old lock system in the Erie Canal is pretty sick. And Coshocton that day, we went to the uh, yeah the triple lock, took a bunch of photos, flew the drone. Um, there's a big lock system kind of in the area where we grew up. Uh, but the Erie Canal was a big deal here, and all those canals are still there. All those locks are still there. They're built with these huge, big, giant stones. Um, but it was quite a massive engineering project all through Pennsylvania, you know, Ohio. Um, it goes through New Bremen, Ohio, where we grew up, and uh, just, you know, a lot of those places uh, – are still there. So it's a big, big part of our Ohio history. So we really hope that that site is protected. Um, they get to dig up as many artifacts and learn as much as they possibly can. Uh, because again, I don't think enough research is being done on these ancient Native Americans in Ohio. So, you know, kudos to them. Um, that's all I had for that one. If we want to move on. Yeah. Um, we got another one. That, have the uh, next one. Yeah from bbc and uh prehistoric art hints at lost indian civilization this comes from october 1st of 2018 the discovery of rock carvings believed to be tens of thousands of years old in india's western state of maharashtra has greatly excited archaeologists who believe they hold clues to previously unknown civilizations BBC Marathi's Mayuresh Kunner reports. The rock carvings known as petroglyphs have been discovered in their thousands atop hillocks in the Konkan region of western Maharashtra. 
mostly discovered in the Ratnagiri, Ratnagiri and Rajapur areas, a majority of the images etched on the rocky flat hilltops remained unnoticed for thousands of years. Most of them were hidden beneath layers of soil and mud, but a few were in the open. These were considered holy and worshipped by locals in some areas. The sheer variety of the rock carvings have stunned experts. Animals, birds, human figures, and ge geometrical designs are all depicted. The way the petroglyphs have been drawn and their similarity to those found in other parts of the world have led experts to believe that they were created in prehistoric times and are possibly among the oldest ever discovered. Our first deduction quote from examining these petroglyphs is that they were created around 10,000 BC. The director of the Maharashtra State Archaeology Department Tejas Garje told the CB, uh, BBC. The credit for the discovery goes to a group of explorers led by Sudhir Risbud and Manoj Mahrathi, who began searching for the images in earnest after observing a few in the area. Many were found in village temples and played a part in local folklore. Another quote, we walked thousands of kilometers. People started sending photographs to us, and we even enlisted schools in our efforts to find them. We made students ask their grandparents and other village elders if they knew about any other engravings. They provided us with a lot of valuable information, Mr. Risbud told the uh, BBC. Together, they found petroglyphs in and around 52 villages in that area, but only around five villages were aware that the images even existed. Apart from actively searching for them, Mr. Risbud and Mr. Uh, Marathe uh, have also played an important role in documenting the petroglyphs and lobbying authorities to get involved in studying and preserving them. Some of these are crazy. I don't know if you're looking at these. These yeah, are wild, wild. right? Wild, Jesus. I mean, they kind of look like some of them look like South, uh, the American Southwest, like that one right there. Yeah. I mean, you see that stuff in the American what is Southwest. It? Is that a flying or... squirrel? What is that? Is that yeah, just I don't like know. A geometric? Some of them like are geometric. Some are animal shapes. Like, there's not. Yeah, yeah it's nuts. Um, Gargi says the oh, images. Up. Real What's quick, up? real up? quick. Stoner's dad said he can dig dig at our place at Indian Lake. I'll that. buy the beer. Yeah, let's How go. How about a, a lidar scan or ground penetrating radar? Well, we could I do some of that. that. And then we could plot out, you know, plot Figure lines out. and do our little chart yeah, and grid dude. and start digging. I'll bet there's stuff out there, man. I'm sure there is. I'll bet. I'm sure there is. There's got to be some artifacts. I don't know. We'll take them up on it. We'll have to go out and do some yeah. research at the uh, at the lake. Sounds sounds like a difficult journey. We can handle that. Um, With beer? Yeah. Get some hams. Uh, Garjay <laughs> says the images appear to have been created by a hunter-gatherer community, which was not familiar with agriculture. Quote, we have not found any pictures of farming activities, but the images depict hunted animals and there's detailing of animal forms. So this man knew about animals and sea creatures. That indicates he was dependent on hunting for food. Dr. <coughs> Shrikant Pradhan, a researcher and art historian at Poon's Deccan College, who has studied the petroglyphs closely, said that the art was clearly inspired by things observed by people at the time. Another quote, most of the petroglyphs show familiar animals. There are images of sharks and whales as well as amphibians like turtles, Mr. Garji adds. But this begs the question of why some of the petroglyphs depict animals like hippos and rhinoceroses, which aren't found in this part of India. Did the people who created them migrate to India from Africa, or were these animals once found in India? Well, that's a good right. question. Well, they did have rhinoceros. Actually, I think they still do have rhinoceros yeah. in they, some parts of India. Well, I don't, I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess they're not found in that part of India, so maybe they just 
came from another part of India, so maybe not even Africa. But yeah, yeah India been... used to have a lot of African type uh, animals. Yeah, these are cool. How how crazy is that though? Too of like when they're like, "Hey, we need to like you know crowdsource this effort. Go ask your grandfather. Go go ask your your grandmother. Hi. Like, do they know about these? What would you do in More that situation? Like... Do you you know, kind of like Depends. say with, if you're in America, no, but India is way more open. You think with so? Their historic, I, Mexico, a hundred percent. You could trust a lot of archaeologists and academia down there. They're very, very, very open. Yeah, I would be hesitant in Ohio to tell anyone anything if I had a private property. I don't think and I would I had tell anybody earth, anything either. I had a mound. If I had a copper gorget in the ground, right. Or dug something giant, up, dude. Giant skull. I would never. Seven foot long ever. femur, you know, something just bizarre. No. I, yeah, that's the thing. I don't think I would either. No, no, if it's bone and, and stuff like that, like, yeah, you have to respect and, you know, make sure at least contact a Native American tribe if it's, you know, ancestors or, right. um, you know, something like that. I'm saying, yeah, well, I, I can understand that, but yeah. But I, I wouldn't would. want anybody to come and take my artifacts and have it end up in some Peabody Museum at Harvard. Yeah, I'm not calling not the, uh, in I'm, Ohio. Not, I'm not calling the, the institute that shall not be named. Yeah. Hey, you guys come out and yeah. verify this for me? Sure will. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you will. Starts with a, an S. <laughs> that's, all, that's all the further we'll go. You guys have watched the show enough to know who we're bitching about. I'm talking about Jay. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about Jay from Crypts of the Corn and his, his organization. Career. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just, secret career. Justin uh, a, England is operating by the... He's a man the, in uh, black yeah. working for the Smithsonian. He's, he's <laughs> actually a men in black type character. Uh, God. Justin's right. Justin's just playing good. it close to the vest with him. He's keeping his enemies close for real. You know, he knows that Jay's a plant. Right. He's well, he's already in, infiltrated us. He's already <laughs> infiltrated us. What was the tinfoil you know, sombrero, right, I think? Right to the source with us. Yeah. Keeping an eye on what we're doing. Yeah. It was that tinfoil sombrero that kept one, us out. Right. Uh, this next one's a Vice article. Um, and it's by Hannah Dr. Loeb. There you go. Headline, Scientist Stonehenge is not a calendar. It's something more mysterious. Boy, I don't know about that. The rock formation of Stonehenge <laughs> is a familiar sight to many, though its purpose to ancient humans is unknown. Last year, a scientist proposed that the iconic monument was used to represent a calendar year. However, a new article published last week in Antiquity claims to debunk this theory, putting Stonehenge back in the realm of mystery. According to the author, uh, authors of the article, Guillermo Magli from the Politencio di Milano in Italy and Juan Antonio Belmonte from the Instituto del Astrofisica. Uh, sorry, I'm not going to be able to do it, guys. Uh, somewhere in Spain, this is proposed. <laughs> uh, this proposal is unsubstantiated. I've had like no, I've had like four drinks in the last few hours, so I'm not this even trying. Good. <laughs> uh, I'm just unsubstantiated, being based as it uh, as it is in a combination of forced interpretations, numerology, and unsupported analogies. 
The Stonehenge calendar model argues that some of the monument's stones represent a calendar based on a 365-day year divided into 12 months, 30 days each, including five uh, epigamemal days with the addition of the leap year every four years. As the authors argue, there are more there are three lines of faulty reasoning here. They first point out that the theory relies on numerology, which they defined as a pseudoscientific form of reasoning that seeks hidden but meaningful relationships between numbers and concept. They argue that the number 12 is not recognizable in any specific feature of the monument and that the interpretation is likely prey to the selection effect in that researchers focus on information relevant to what they want to be true. In terms of astronomy, the authors acknowledge that the solstice alignment is quite accurate. However, they note that they, the slow movement of the sun at the horizon during these days therefore makes it impossible to control the correct working of the calendar. They also emphasize that the idea of Stonehenge calendar is based on a cultural astronomical analogies comparing the proposed Stonehenge calendar to Egyptian calendars. They claim this is faulty. This is a faulty analogy. Such monuments have not been found in Egypt and the supposed source of the inspiration for the practice. And here is not a single piece of evidence to support the claim of an independent development in the third millennia BC, uh, BC Britain, they write. In an email to Motherboard, Magley wrote that rather than reshaping the narrative, their work brings Stonehenge back to an interpretation that's not modern-centered, exact calendar, and so on, but close to what we really know about Neolithic Britain, a place for worship and the afterlife of the ancestors. The authors also emphasize the importance of well-trained researchers working on the projects. We believe that matters such as ancient calendars, astronomical alignments, and cultural astronomy should be reserved to specialists, trained in the subject and not left to researchers from other disciplines. However, renowned and knowledgeable in their own fields, they write, multidisciplinary and collaboration offer the most effective way forward. Boom! We talk about this all the time. This is Jeff's big message during his episode was all these different fields need to be working on this stuff. As soon as you bring in different points of view, boom, you have research like this. The author of the study that the researchers were commenting on, Timothy Darville from uh, Bournemouth University, did not respond to a request for the comment in time for publication. But according to Darville, the article does not undermine the essential model of the Sarsen structures at Stonehenge being constructed as a manifestation of a perpetual solar calendar. The rather minor issues raised in relation to marking and naming the months, for example, are all unresolved questions that I recognize and commented on in the original article, and which in the present state of archaeology at the site we cannot yet answer, he wrote. The major beef seems to be in relation to the suggestion, and it was only a suggestion for further work, that the basic structure of Stonehenge calendar might in some way derive from the Egyptian civil calendar that developed in the Eastern Mediterranean in the early 3rd millennium BC. 
While Stonehenge's purpose is still a mystery, other researchers suggest it could have functioned as a ceremonial landscape to honor dead ancestors. It's important to try to think the way that the builders did with a deep respect for their motivate motivating ideas. I tend to actually uh, agree with that, that it's um, there's another site that's basically down by the river and people would come up from the river and get off on this site that was actually an earthwork. Mm-hmm. It had uh, earthen walls, uh, wasn't made of stone. So it was like the female energy. And then Stonehenge was like this male energy and there'd be a, it's like life and then death. So they would have the the analogy of life. Then they would take this big, long path all the way from that river and that other structure up to Stonehenge, where Stonehenge represented the afterlife and death. And so it's like this whole soul's journey, if you will. Right. Um, and I tend to think that as they discover how these other sites are connected with Stonehenge, and that it's it's all one giant procession of all these folks that would get together and and do and do this year after year after year. Um, hey, Burton Moran, how's it going, buddy? Um, but you know, it's it's uh, yeah, a bit strange as usual. Mammoth meatballs. <laughs> this has been a this has been an, an interesting one. Um, but. Uh, that's all I really had for that one, Bob. Uh, yeah. Is that is that all of them? Do that's, we have any more? Nope, that's a wrap. Wrapped them all up? That's the strange. Well, that's the uh, this episode coming to you, special edition from Vero Beach, Florida. Um, we decided that, well, shit, I could probably make this happen. Depending, um, I've been trying to figure out this whole week, it's like, we need to do a strange happenings. We'll figure out, we'll figure out a time. We'll make yeah. it happen. Yeah. You guys, Bob Stoner Disbro, thank you for, um, you know, putting the episode together. We've been working remotely, but, uh, super happy we could do this. Absolutely. Uh, good times. I was about to say, you know, my, my tenant about the strange road and the strange happenings and the reason why it's not going to stop is because there's always something strange going on. So, I mean, Yeah. It, we got to kind of vent it. it yeah and watch it um it is one of the most popular thing we do on the audio platforms it is for some reason yeah or like jumping at the bit for thursdays when strange <laughs> happenings drops yeah. uh, we're starting to see more people i think from the audio side coming over to the youtube side um but we want to you know always you know the links are there if you're listening so you can kind of follow along Right. Um, with, you know, if you're just listening at home, a lot of times we have visuals. So uh, don't forget that the links are in the description after every episode, whether it's the audio platforms or YouTube. Um, if you guys want to double check us and see how many words I misspelled and mispronounced. And, <laughs> oh, I, I had uh, a bunch. Over. Uh, that I, could be I, a drinking game. I do want to say times that. How many up somebody's name? Yeah, well, or true. Local- <laughs> yeah, I will say though, I still think that that caterpillar's name was Puss and not Puss. <laughs> it's not how you spell Puss. Way, in the image, it was Steven Spielberg's hat after it was uh, the, the episode, the post episode <laughs> edit that Necromechanical made, which I had no clue until he pointed it out. Oh yeah, because again, 
a lot of times I kind of black out during these episodes and I don't remember what you said or I said. Yeah. We get into this like, kind of flow state. Yeah. And so when I'm going back in those those edits, I'm like, I don't re- what is that? What is that? Like when I was Molaram. Yeah. Totally forgot about the Indiana Jones. It's like, am I like some Agni Hotra shaman? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so, you gotta, you gotta look over everything good. in his images with a fine tooth comb. It's, it's so much fun. Oh, yeah. If you guys aren't following Necro Mechanimal on Instagram, if you, he covers a lot of other podcasts, Joe Rogan, hollow sky, uh, last podcast on the left. Yep. Um, but you know, prolific, prolific uh, creator. Hilarious artwork, yeah. Uh, oh my god, dude! It, me the up. one with us and the cryptid huntress as, as the Sasquatch her, marsupials, their baby Sas <laughs> marsupials, with us writing in her pouch, bro. That one about broke me. Well, and it confused and then, us for a minute because we we're like, <laughs> did we say that in the episode? We we're like, no, no, we said that in Strange Happenings because that's the day we doubled up Strange Happenings. We men. Right. We that week we did two episodes, Cryptid Huntress and a Strange Happenings, went live with DA on Wednesday. And did. and then we went live with Adam. No that no. following on Thursday or Roo I'm shoot. sorry. Heather. Rushu. Oh Ron. It was yes. Roo, it was Rushu Ron. Well, we had a run there for a couple weeks. It, yeah. It's all blending together. Yeah. But that's why those images are amazing because I can go back and actually remember what the hell we talked about so wait wait much real love. quick what did burton just say in the what did he say he's got he burton what does that mean you had a visitor last night what kind of visitor like yeah, a what are you talking visitor, about, like a giant a giant owl visitor let's see what burton says here he related give him a minute i don't Dog know what that related. means maybe i missed something hit me up burton yeah. i'm on vacation so i'm responding a little bit a little bit late but uh, <laughs> <laughs> here we go shadow man did you see necro's shadow comment man. real quick you gotta see huh? necro's comment up top <laughs> unbutton the shirt more mike <laughs> i got you dog hey by the way stoner's dad you should see my legs now boss they are tan you think i had nice nice legs on the last episode dude i have a tan now so wait till i bring back the shorts in oh studio bro that's so funny. Nice Florida shirt, my That's wife funny. says. Thanks, honey. So he said, Work just for you. You did have shadow men <laughs> that came into your room. Damn. No thanks. Okay, did, we might have to have a special yeah. emergency Burton Moran appearance. Yeah. We might have to make that happen. Talk shadow men. Dude, it'd be cool. Maybe, maybe we go live on Instagram with Burton or something like that. Yeah. When I get back. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Burton, I'll hit you up on the side. Oh, damn. Okay. Wow. Were you having sleep paralysis, Burton? Or was this just like you just woke up and they were there? Because like... Oh, it's... I got you. You to read it. Bob. Gotcha. That's a good point. That's a good point. With the heart. Yeah, no, I didn't think about it. So Burton said a shadow man came into his room. And then I can't make out... I don't know if it says, dude, he opened his eyes and one was standing in the door. No thanks. I've been there. Yeah, I wasn't sleeping though. Fun. I didn't wake up. I, that's why I wonder if he was sleeping and woke up and did that. But uh, yeah, that's craziness right there. We might have to. Yeah, we might have to do a special. We're gonna get more details council, on that. Council of the Burton. Yes. <laughs> Wild stuff, Burton. 
we'll we'll uh chat on the side for sure um my wife popped in here and saying hi to Stucky. that's hilarious jared hess is in here too <laughs> under a um, bunch of aliases um, under chiba not asleep yet but i'm oh okay not maybe not. I don't know if we're down tonight to do that, Burton. We might do an Insta. We might have to do a chat or like a Twitter space or something tomorrow or something like that. Yeah, maybe this weekend or Friday but when I, I get would, back. I would be down to talk about it for sure. Would love to. <laughs> Always down for a good shadow person story. Well, I think we're good. I think we're good, man. You got anything else? No, no. As always, as you say at the end of the show, like, subscribe, uh, tell a friend. If you don't like it, if you've got thoughts or opinions for us, let us hear them. If you've got stories like, you know, Mike and I were both sharing, we had some people kind of reaching out and filling in the gaps. Um, That's so cool. I love a good story, no matter if it's us on here doing the strange happenings or a guest or we get, uh, you know, somebody reaching out in that context. So please keep it up. We love the uh, interaction. Yep. And thank you to everyone in the chat. You guys are killing it. Like always. Always. Uh, You're the best. Thank you to everybody that listens at uh, on all the audio platforms. Uh, share this, share our channel, share our podcast, share the love. Um, much love to all the new followers on TikTok, Instagram. Absolutely. Uh, you can find on Facebook at The Strange Road, Instagram, TikTok. Um, you know, hit us up. We have uh, a couple links that can get you to pretty much everywhere we are. So, Uh, We appreciate all of you out there, and we're going to sign off. This has been uh, Special Edition Strange Happenings. I'm live in Vero Beach. Bub's holding it down with Stoner and Disborough in the studio. Correct. And uh, we're signing off. Take us out, bud. See you guys later. Till next time.